Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you've been a fan of this podcast for a while, you probably love to travel. We've had so many podcast guests that have celebrated the power of travel, the way that it can connect us, that it can tell us more about ourselves, more about the world. But really, if you just showed up to this podcast, if you've never heard another episode before, you probably love to travel too, because hey, who doesn't? I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good, the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact in the world. This week, I'm so excited that we got to have a conversation with Zim Ugochuku, who believes that everything about travel comes from a spark of curiosity. She's currently the CEO of Travel Noir, an award-winning boutique travel company, and is a passionate advocate for personal transformation. Zim is absolutely dedicated to creating long-lasting change by using technology to empower people of color to lead more global lives. And she has this incredible background, and it consists of everything from biology to running a national anti-tobacco campaign to working on the Obama campaign to opening up a civil rights museum, becoming a precinct judge at the age of 19, and traveling throughout 90% of Asia. Goodness gracious, I am so excited about this conversation. I loved getting to have this talk with Zim. And so without any further ado, let's just jump straight into the conversation. Zim, I am so excited to be talking with you. You and I first met randomly uh, when we were both in the Bay Area for a random meeting uh, at Facebook headquarters. And we were on yeah. like their like little roof bar thing drinking juice. They like they get I don't man, I want to work at Facebook. They give away like free juice on this little roof on their building. And that's where you started sharing about the amazing work that you do. And and I was just so hooked. Like I was enamored by the cool stuff that you're doing. And so I'm excited to be talking with you today. This is so fun. Yay. Likewise, likewise. I want to start at the very beginning. You're the daughter of two Nigerian immigrants, uh, and you were first-generation American growing up in the Midwest. Yes. What was life like for you growing up? Life was an adventure. I actually went back to uh, my hometown growing up this past weekend, and I hadn't been back for almost 15 years. Wow. So it was a walk down memory lane, and it's so crazy how keen your memory is as a kid. I got off the highway, and I didn't need directions anymore. I just knew okay, so there's a Best Buy. It was there when I was growing up. Here's the street that I grew up on. Here's the neighborhoods that I grew up in. And it was a walk down memory lane. I went to my old elementary school. I walked around the playground. And it was just incredible. I, I As I was driving down the street that I grew up on, that, those are the same streets that me and my brother and um, our little rat pack of friends would walk from our apartment complex to the grocery store on our own. It was just one of those small towns where you could just walk around and be free. And we used to do a lot of exploring and we lived very close to um, 
my elementary school. So it was about a block and a half and we would walk every day. My mom would leave in the morning um, before we got, uh, before we had to wake up for school. She'd get us dressed while we were still sleeping in bed. So imagine putting <laughs> pants on kids as they're sleeping and putting shirts on, on kids as they're sleeping. And then we would wake up at our appointed time. We would get our food from the refrigerator and we would go to school. And we, that was our, our life. We were pretty independent young kids because my mom had to, she had to work a 12 hour shift. So seven to seven every day. And my father wasn't in the picture. He had moved back um, to Nigeria. He was um, pretty abusive to my mom. And so um, a long series of events happened when my mom got enough courage to, to leave. And um, so we grew up um, without, without a father in the home. And so it was just an interesting experience being so young and being given the opportunity to really explore what was so awesome about this small, tiny Midwestern town. So I have a lot of really amazing memories of the place that I grew up. That's incredible. Like, I, I love that you grew up in that sort of like community environment where you could just kind of go and explore. I'm actually about to later tonight, I'm flying on a plane to go back and visit my hometown. And uh, so much of that resonates with me because I was able to walk all over. Like, I, I definitely won't need a GPS anywhere in my little town. And it's it's a cool environment to grow up in. And I didn't know that about your mom. And, and, and it's it's cool to hear about how you, it sounds like you were raised with a lot of bravery and strength in the home. And, and it sounds like that has maybe contributed into some of the work that you do today. Like I can see that from an outsider's perspective. I'd be curious if, if that's something that, that resonates with you as well. Right. Yeah, for sure. So you grew up in the Midwest, which isn't necessarily known for its like copious amounts of like travel. Where was your very first big travel experience? Because I know that travel is like a core part of uh, the work that you do in the in the in the lifestyle you live today. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of my the I guess the roots of travel have come from just being a curious little human being. I. Because we were able to walk around and explore, we, I mean, my brother were, <laughs> we would go into these, like, they weren't swamps, but they were, like, areas of tall grass. And we'd, like, <laughs> look for money. And we were just always all over the place. I was, uh, whenever a bird fell off our apartment complex building, like a baby bird, I would try and help it fly. I was always, like, looking into the little holes where their, like, rabbits, like, dig their little nests in there. And I was always, like, I was always into something. And I think that... It everything for me as it relates to travel started with that spark of curiosity. And um, my first big trip, I would probably say, uh, was when I was one and uh, my mom drove, we took a bus from Minnesota to Texas and then over to California. So that was my first real road trip. That's a big um, road trip too. It's a, it's a big, big road trip. And so we stayed out in LA for six months and before we came back to, to Minnesota. And so I, I would say that my childhood was very much characterized by hashtag curious vibes. And <laughs> uh, when we moved to um, North Carolina when I was nine or so, I mean, that was my first big flight. I remember being on the plane. I was actually crying because I, le- I was leaving all my friends and I really loved Minnesota. I had such a wonderful childhood there. And I'm, when I moved to North Carolina... 
it was a completely, completely different experience, one that I didn't necessarily expect. Man. And so what was life like when you got to North Carolina? Like, what was that transition like? And what was it like being in a place that was uh, different than where you'd grown up for, you know, potentially the first time, at least aware that that was a big change? Yeah, I think um, it was very different and it was very difficult. Um, I grew up in Minnesota, which didn't have a very large uh, population of people of color. And so I was always seen as like the other. Um, Whereas when I moved to North Carolina, I was still seen as the other, but from people who looked exactly like me. And so I was ridiculed a lot and I was called African booty scratcher. And I was called all these really mean and negative things. People, it made me hate the the continent where I came from. It made me hate Africa um, because people were just so, I mean, that was in the nineties when it was like the rise of like, the donate to a child in Africa with the flies on their face. And like, it, it was the rise of, like, that was the rise of, of like this, in you know, Africa is the dark, the deep, dark place that nobody knows about. And they need so much help from all of us and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that kind of informed the way that I thought about myself. And I remember moving to North Carolina, I had such low self-esteem because people were always picking on me. And that was a, a like a huge departure from my life in Minnesota where I was free as a bird. And people were like, oh, Zim, that's such a cool name. Like there, so it was, it was a stark contrast. To this day, I actually, weirdly enough, and I don't think I've ever said this publicly, I still get nervous when I, I'm around like a, not around a group of kids, but um, if I see like a group of kids and I have to walk by them, the little child in me kind of shrouds like a little there, there is something in me that is still very fearful because kids were so cruel. I mean, kids still are very cruel. And, um, I remember being in Morocco, um, a couple months ago and there were these group of kids that were just, I think they were like kicking a ball around, but they were standing on both sides of the road. And I walked by them and I was so I, I don't want to say I was terrified, but I was like, man, they're, they're speaking Arabic, so I have no idea what they're saying. But, you know, what if they're talking about me? And it's crazy that as an adult who is probably three times their age, I still have the, the little remnants of my childhood, um, you know, and so it's like, it's crazy. I mean, it makes sense. It totally makes sense because that was, you know, that was such a pivotal moment in your life and it, it was hard. Yeah. Man, yeah. How do you think that that manifested itself in your life early on? Then, did that drive you to be more shy? Did it drive you to be more driven? Did it drive you to be? What do you think that kind of you naturally, instinctively did as a result of that growing up? I rebelled a lot because mm. I really wanted to fit in. You know, people were just like, "You're X, you're Y, you're this, you're that," and I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm actually this really cool person." <laughs> um, and I and so I. I rebelled. Like there was a period of my life where I was like, you know, taking money from my mom and hanging out with bad kids and stealing from stores. And it was like, not who I was, but I wanted to fit in so bad as a lot of young children do. And, um, I remember, I'll never forget it. I was in middle school. I started a new middle school. I was hanging out with a bad crowd of people And my mom, I came back from my middle school one day. My mom was like, all right, 
So you're going to a new school starting tomorrow. Whoa. And I was like, no way. I was like, what do you mean? And, you know, obviously I wasn't that happy, but I was like this 11 year old didn't really have a say. My mom pulled me out and put me into this, this school of the arts called Durham School of the Arts. And it was um, it was an art school, middle school, um, high school. And that was another pivotal moment in my childhood because I was now put in this place with all of these people who were weird, but it also gave me permission to be weird. That's where I learned how to play piano. I learned how to play violin. I was making like clay sculptures. This was like all as like a 12 year old, right? And I was in theater and I was like, you know, taking computer classes. And it was such, it was such a departure from, you know, the life that I was living, this like rebellious life that I was living that was so far from God. I mean, even as a child, like I was just like not even paying attention to my mom. Like it was, and it, it's, it sucks because it was so painful for her as a single mom who was working 12 hour shifts every day um, to have this child that, you know, is kind of like running around. And even though I was running around with that bad crowd, there were still these like moral things that I, I had intact. Like I wasn't, I never smoked never drunk. Like there were still these things that I just would never do, even though the peers, my peers were around, around me. And I honestly, God was looking out for me. Like I, I look at some of those people, um, some of the people that I was friends with back then, and I see where they are now. And had I stayed on that path, I would be a completely different, um, person today, completely different. It's interesting to think about so I, I started going to counseling a few months ago just because I was like, I want to like learn and grow and like, and like understand things about myself that I'm not naturally coming to. But it's also made me like the way that my counselor talks to me, I've started like talking to other people. And so like, I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if this could be. And so I'm going to throw something out there and you can be like, okay, that's not true at all. But I'm like, almost seems like early on you like had this experience of people like telling you what your identity was. And you're like, that is not my identity. Like what you're seeing on the outside, that's not who I am. And so by rebelling, it's almost like you were saying, I'm going to take control of my identity. This is who I am. And then we, when you got a new opportunity to be at a different school full of, of opportunities for identity that you can choose where you can be like, I want to create art. I want to paint. I want to do theater, you know, whatever that is it gave you back that control. And I don't know that I'm just processing through that right now. and being like, okay, where does that apply to my own life as well? It's really interesting to think about. Does that resonate at all? Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Yeah. Man, that's so interesting. But okay. So you got to do this like amazing, cool school for the arts. What did you do after graduating high school? Cause I know that you did some really impressive things. Uh, I was reading about it online. But like, it was all over the spectrum. Tell me about like what life was like after you graduated high school. Yeah, I left the School of the Arts when I was in the eighth grade okay. because I, uh, well, going into the ninth grade actually because I was accepted onto the cheerleading squad of this public high school, and so I was like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. So I went to this school in the country, and um, I spent the rest of my high school career there. And at that point, I've kind of, I kind of like came to terms with my weirdness and I was okay with it. I was like, at that point I was like, here I am. I was one of those kids 
that could move in different circles. So I could sit at the table with people who were in sports. I could sit at the table with people who were like considered maybe a little bit more nerdy. I could sit with there. Like I had pockets of friends in, in each kind of spectrum and I could always move within those pockets of people. I don't know if it's because I like spoke the same language or what it was, but I was always just able to um, meet people where they were. And so I was like, you know, taking photography classes, civics, I just did all of these things. And then I graduated, um, I graduated high school. And I remember my mom, she was like, she didn't want me to go to uh, UNCG, which was the university that I went to because she, my mom had this, my mom, so my mom, as a Nigerian mom, as somebody who was born into an immigrant family, you typically are really pressed to do really well with your education. Like education is everything. If I bring an A home from school, it's why didn't I get an A plus? And so my mom wanted me to, um, she wanted me to go to UNC, which was a top tier school, UNC or Duke. But I didn't get into any of those schools. So I was like, you know, mom, I'm going to UNCG. My mom wanted me to go to um, community college and then transfer to Carolina. And uh, there was something that I said to her and it was, um, would you rather me go to Carolina or Duke and be mediocre or average, or would you rather me go to a less popular school and really shine? And so my mom from, th- from then on was like, you know, okay, like I trust you, go and do great things. And so went off to college and um, my freshman year, actually, I was walking around my uh, school building and I saw this, um, this ad for like, research, um, genetics research with this professor. I was a, um, I think I was a bio major at the time and, or I just declared my bio major and I was like, this will be fun. This will be interesting. So I walked into this, I walked into the lab and met Dr. L who was my mentor for the next four years until I graduated college. And I, it was in his lab that, um, I, we cloned, we cloned a gene and that gene had similarities to, a, a facial disorder that you find in, 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 in um, babies. And so I was traveling around the country presenting my research. Um, I became a precinct judge at the age of 19. So I was um, working with some of our... What? What, t- what does that mean? Yeah, tell me. I was a precinct judge of uh, our precinct on campus. And so um, during elections, municipal um, main elections... I was tasked with, me and a couple other folks were tasked with setting up the polls, closing down the polls, all that good stuff, making sure that provisional ballots were sent out, like all of these different things. That was my, that's what I did for, you know, the, the following three or four years. And so I, you know, when I first came onto campus, I just got super, super involved. And then my best friend started a um, uh, anti-tobacco organization. It was the youngest youth-led organization in the country. And he was like, do you want to join as my vice president? And I was like, let's do it. And so we spent m- much of the year traveling to different parts of the country, talking to young people about tobacco. And I remember I would just like write notes to my teachers like, hey, you know, I'm going to miss this exam, but I'm going to like, I'm going to go speak at this thing for for young people about tobacco and yada, yada, yada. Can I take the test early or can I make it up? And I would always like be sending these notes to my teachers. And so 
I was a pretty busy bee in college. And then um, I worked on the Obama campaign in 2008. Uh, after I finished working on the campaign, there was this energy that had kind of left um, campus. And so there was this museum that I had saw, you know, when I had first come to UNCG and it hadn't been open for like 12 years. It was like, it was a sore spot of the city. People thought there was like really shady things happening. And so what I wanted to do was I wanted to start an organization to create awareness and donate to help open up the museum. Uh, and, and the really awesome thing there is that um, the museum opened five months before I graduated and we were able to take the money that we raised and write a check to the museum. And so that was such a blessing to be able to do that. And so, you know, in between the time that I was at university, I spent my summers in different places. So I spent my summer, I think my sophomore year in DC and I was working at the National Science Foundation. Um, and that was a really awesome experience in Arlington. And then um, another summer I was out in San Francisco organizing churches. And that was um, such an awesome experience as well. And it it gave me um, a quite a varied experience, if you will, that, it, I mean, looking back on it, it all looks like just a bunch of random things. But at the end of the day, they all really tied together in, in the name of like community, uh, meeting people where they are and seeing that thread from my childhood through middle school and high school and just being able to, to talk to different people in different ways was, a, I think, a result of being so curious and, and being the other, being seen as the other for so much of my life that you recognize that otherness in other people. Wow, that's profound. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's really, you, it's, it's almost like hindsight is twenty twenty. When you're going through it, you don't yeah. even think about it. But as you look back on your life, you're like, wow, I see how all of this stuff fits together. I see how it all has kind of worked to, to bring me to where I am today. You know, Does that come naturally to you, looking back at your life and kind of doing that? Because for me, I think that I'm pretty bad at like, I'm, I'm very forward oriented. So I'm very much focused on like, what's next, what's next, what's next. And I can build on the things from the past for the future, but I have a hard time looking back at the past and seeing what built or like what built the things that happened in the past. Like, what does that look like for you? Is that natural or do you have to work hard at that? I mean, honestly, I think that <laughs> a part of the reason why I, I started thinking about it was because I applied to the Loose Scholars Program, the program that sent me to India for a year, and I had to make sense of my life. Like in, in the personal statement, you had to talk about your experiences and how they culminated into the, the where you are today. And so I had to sit down with um, one of my, um, he's a friend of mine, he was a former Loose Scholar, and he was the one that got me interested in the program. And I had to sit down and say, my life is so random, like help me make sense of all of these things. And so we, I, we it was a lot of self-reflection. And in fact, I probably think that was one of the most challenging application processes that I'd ever had to go through. But just because it took like a lot more self-awareness? It took a lot more self-awareness um, and a lot of like just gr grounding myself, a lot of edits. We did a lot of edits um, to that personal statement. And it was such a beautiful byproduct that came out of um, that process that, you know, 
even when I look back on my life now, like it doesn't come natural, but you have to be self-reflective in that way. And I think it's a part of the, the, the rite of passage to, you know, to wisdom. I ask God often, like, grant me wisdom, you know, wisdom to understand who I am and you and how I can be of service to other people. And I think just being able to sit and reflect on, I'm a very nostalgic person. And going back to Minnesota this past weekend, I was like a wreck. I mean, I I went and I surprised my very first church family there. They hadn't seen me in 15 years. And so nostalgia just been a part of my life. And I never really knew why. <laughs> um, but it's it's all been something that has contributed to the way that I see myself now and, and how I've seen myself um, growing into the place where I am now. Man, that's amazing. And so, and so that application process was to go to India. You ended up getting to go to India. Tell me about like what it was like to go to India. What even like what were you up to there? Like what was the what was the game yeah. plan? I knew that I wanted to leave the country after college. I didn't know where I wanted to go, but um, I knew that if you are good at something, then people will pay you to apply those skills in other places around the world. There's always money for fellowships and there's always money for scholarships. And so, you know, I said to myself, I, you know, I want to go somewhere. I don't know where, but Asia, this huge monolith of a place, maybe I can find something there. And I applied to the program, went through the interview process, which was quite strenuous and um, got accepted along with um, 16 other young people under the age of 30 who were all doing really remarkable things in their field. And um, we got to choose our country. Um, I chose India and we got to choose our job placement. I worked at Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, which is a social enterprise organization. And so I was down there um, helping young people and connecting them with business resources in Bangalore. Before I got to Bangalore, I was in Delhi uh, learning Hindi. And so that was also such a special part of my experience because here I am as this person that has been able to connect with other circles of other people. And I'm learning a language to help me do that even deeper in a place that I had never, I'd never tried Indian food before I moved to India at all. And um, I, it was just like such a foreign, such a foreign thing. But I have grown leaps and bounds to love India as my own country. And, um, you know, one of my cornerstone experiences while in India was living on a train. So I, I spent about two weeks living on a train. And every day we stopped at around 5 a.m. to shadow a social entrepreneur for the day. And that was so impactful. I, I was living on this train with 450 other young Indians, only 50 other international participants. And we, you know, because of that experience, I, I now have friends in almost every state on the subcontinent. And it was so special to be able to make those connections with people who who felt the same way that I did about life. You know, their parents wanted them to go do X and they were, you know, set on going to do Y. And, you know, they wanted to do this, but their parents didn't want them to do that. And there were all of these different um, things and all of these different um, elements at play. And so um, after that experience, I um, came back to my work and I was just like, I can't even get anything done here. And, and no 
no knock to the organization at all. It was just a hard place to navigate. When you travel and when you go to different countries, you have to also recognize how much culture affects everything. And so I wasn't able to get as much work done as I as I wanted to. And I had just got off of this amazing transformational experience in um you know, on this train where we traveled, we basically did one. So we started in Mumbai and ended in Mumbai. I can't remember how many states we visited, but we stopped in, I think, 12 different destinations, um, including Bihar, which is the poorest um, state in in India. And um, I had just come back from that transformational experience and I was back at my desk and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I stayed at that job for a couple more months. And then one of um, my fellow Lou scholars, her aunt actually owned a nonprofit in um, Himachal Pradesh, which is is the state below Kashmir, which is the disputed territory between um, India and Pakistan. And um, so I moved up to Himachal Pradesh. I was in Dharamshala and I was there for um, the rest of my time. And then my boyfriend came to India to visit and we traveled around the subcontinent and it was just such a transformational experience. I I also think about both of those, my college experience and my India experience. I guess what I've learned about myself, at least through my college years and my time in India, was that I if college was like a damp towel or a soaking wet towel, I wrung every ounce of water out of my college experience. And I wrung every ounce of water out of my India experience. I I think about that like towel analogy so much because I literally, I I was in, I stayed in college an extra year because I just loved it so much. I was like, oh my gosh, let me take this class. Let me take this class. Let me take this class. And, um, you know, I just dove headfirst into my college experience. And looking back, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, change a thing it's it's all kind of shaped me into this into this person that I am today man that's so what a what a cool impactful experience to get to have and do you still speak Hindi I do wow I, I still do I sometimes I, I get in the car with folks who are from India and I and I talk to them I'm a little bit shyer now than I was before something about India is that it'll make you quite aggressive um just just because if for anybody who's been to india they they know what i mean and so yes i still do i still read i can still write um in hindi and so that it it goes it kind of calls back that nostalgia piece you know i just i often think back on how blessed um i've been and even through the the trials and india was very challenging it was a very challenging place to live but you don't see the beauty of that in the moment, even though you should try to. Um, but a lot of the revelation of uh, the beauty of that pain comes from later. Man, did you ever think that you would get to have an experience like that? And and maybe more than that, like what did your peers who, you know, were in high school and middle school and in college, you know, think about this like amazing, cool, huge experience you got to have? You know, like what... What did that contrast look like? Well, my mom was very nervous. Um, folks in college, a part of me thinks that some of them were like, 
wow, that's really crazy. You're going to India. You sold everything that you owned and you are moving to India. Some people <laughs> were like, oh, that's totally Zim. Like, what can you expect? Like, this girl is like always out there and, and doing doing things that that are not um, typical. You know, I was always the youngest. You know, I remember in, in elementary school, my teacher wanted me to skip a grade. And my mom... I mean, I'm sure it would have been, like, cool to have graduated high school at 16, but I was already the youngest in the class. And if I skipped another grade, I would be at the same grade that my brother was, who was uh, 18 months, almost two years older than I was. And so my mom didn't want that. But going through these, like, life stages of mine, I've always been the youngest at something. At 19 years old, I cloned this gene. At 19 years old, I became a precinct judge. At 20, 21, I moved to India. Like I was always the youngest person to do something. And so I think people were just like, wow, like this girl has, has, has packed so much life into these short amount of years. I mean, that's how I think, that's how I think it went. I mean, I, I don't know for totally. sure, but when I was in India, there was a lot of comparison happening because I was in India, I was in this place, I was speaking Hindi like a baby and people were getting married, they were getting these jobs, they were doing all these things and seemingly moving forward while I felt stuck. And it was a very difficult time and a difficult realization. Over time, I learned that we were all growing. We were just growing in different directions. Man. So travel is such a huge part of your life now, and you are the founder of Travel Noir. Tell me about you know, where this idea came from and how this got started. Yeah, so Travel Noir um, came about actually while I was living in India. And um, I was, again, this other person, obviously, as you are when you travel. But I couldn't find, I couldn't really find anybody who I could speak to about things that were specifically related to me. So like my hair, I went to India with braids. And then I, you know, at the same time, I had those braids had to come out at some point, but I didn't know where to go to find a place to take care of my hair. And so that was a big challenge for me. And so I thought to myself, you know, it'd be really cool if there was a community of people of color who could talk about their experiences of traveling. And I remember going to um, like China and I went to this store and I had asked for face wash and she brought me skin whitening cream. And I was like, that's not quite what I what I had in mind or like when you hear stories of people that are like rubbing off, you know, they see that you're brown skin and they try to rub it off because they think it's dirt and that there's white skin underneath. And you have all of these different narratives. And on top of the fact that, you know, when I looked at these travel magazines, I didn't quite see people who, who looked like me uh, on the cover. And what that meant for a lot of people was that, you know, I can't, go to these places because I don't see anybody who looks like me. I'm not sure it'll be safe. I'm, you know, I'm not sure X, I'm not sure Y. And again, this is where kind of that otherness comes into play. That's been the thread of my whole life (laughs) is I, I'm, I'm, you know, going to these places and I'm, you know, showing people that it is okay. It is beautiful. It's there. They are beautiful, amazing, kind people everywhere and travel is for you too. And I 
I don't want I don't want to say that I was like the mouthpiece, but there are all there were also other people who were like me who would travel to these places, travel anywhere essentially that's not war torn. And but they were, you know, seen as like way more adventurous or they would travel um, multiple times a year and people would think that they didn't have any jobs or they just figured out a way either work remotely or whatever to travel more and to get out into the world more and to connect with more people. And, you know, so that's kind of how everything started. That's kind of where the idea started. I didn't execute on that idea until maybe two years later. I landed back in San Diego or near San Diego where my parents lived and I was broke. I spent all the money that I made during my fellowship. I spent it all on travel my mom wanted me to go to medical school and wanted me to go to nursing school. <laughs> and I told her I didn't want to. Um, I think I maybe had $300 in my bank account. And my friend told me that I could sleep on her couch in, in San Francisco. So I, I used part of my $300 and I um, bought a bus ticket to San Francisco. And I lived on uh, her couch, in between her couch and some room that she would put me in for six months. And I had four jobs. I sold sunglasses. I was an intern at a, at a tech startup, an incubator. Um, I was a nanny. That was only lasted for maybe two weeks. <laughs> and then I was helping my friend start her own company. And so during that six-month period, I had maybe like a $3 a day budget. And that was either to pay for the bus fare or to eat. And thankfully, when I was nannying, I mean, you are, you're in the home, there's food in the fridge, you know, I was able to like, you know, snack away. Yeah. But then also at uh, the startup incubator in San Francisco, startups a lot of times have food. Um, and so I would, you know, get some food there. And so, but it was, it was a pretty difficult time having a $3 a day budget and not being able to spend anything. And it was very humble. I didn't execute. I didn't start Travel Noir. I didn't start then. Um, I landed a full-time job as a producer for a tech conference in June of 2013. And uh, I started Travel Noir two or three months after that. So I just needed that stability to be able to start Travel Noir. And we started um, with about 100 writers who lived all over the globe who were passionate about travel. And then we grew to hosting webinars about how you can travel for free or how to get your boss to let you work remote or how to get paid to travel. And that following grew it, and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And we were so focused giving value to people and being of service to other people that when we did launch our product in 2015, it sold out. So it's been like this perpetual state of like really trying to figure out how to be, how to give a ton of value to people um, so that they can live lives that feel more representative to who they want to become. That's huge. And, and it's no surprise that you've had so much success because what you're doing is you're bringing a lot of value to a community of people that, that like want to hear from you. They want to hear, you know, your story, your experience, and they, they want to share in that experience themselves. And you're just, you know, for people of color, there, there really isn't a lot of other, uh, stuff in the travel world that's com- as comprehensive as what you guys are doing. And I think it's so cool that you're providing these amazing tools and you're doing it from such a, a place of like, hey, I've had this experience and it worked. Like, I would love for you to have this experience too. Right, exactly. And I think, 
I was speaking at, a, I think, a conference a couple weeks ago, and um, people were asking me about um, hiring um, and how to hire good people and, and all that good stuff. And, and my mantra there is to hire good people. You have to be a good person. So the same goes with like business and, and products and in order to, to get people to, to, to buy from you and to, to love on you and, and to trust you, you have to be loving, you have to be trustworthy, you have to be all of those things. And I think that, you know, through and through, I, I wanted to build a company that, that was built on giving value um, and having people who really loved what they did and loved the work that we do. And we have a pretty small team. We have a full-time staff of eight people. And we have um, a, a, a crew of, of contractors that we love, that we love to work with in communities around the world. And um, it's just, it's been an incredible blessing to see something come from the dust um, to this, you know, this massive thing. But I always talk about being humble. And it's, it's actually one of our core values for our team is, is staying humble. And that's so important because it's, um, it's not enough for us to be puffed up on our laurels. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to serve people. And I think sometimes when people get away from that, when brands get away from that, they end up losing. Like your, your job is to transform people's lives with what it is that you have to offer. We offer uh, we have two products. One is Travel Noir Experiences and the other is Compass. Travel Noir Experiences um, are small group experiences based off the itinerary is, is based very much off of my time in India. So I studied transformational travel and how can you how can you pack something so transformational in seven days? Well, how do you, how do you do that? And so we look at the itinerary, we place it in very strategic places. Each day has its own goals attached to it. And Maximum impact for me is a transformed life, which sometimes comes in the form of tears. <laughs> but, you know, if we do get tears at the final dinner, then we know that we've, we've done well. Um, and you have 14 strangers who at the end of the trip leave as family. They take their own trips together after that. And it's just this one big happy family. And we've had people who aren't people of color who join the trips and we um, welcome them with open arms. And so um, that's Travel Noir Experiences. We operate uh, seven destinations on five different continents, and we run about between 60 and 80 trips a year. Um, so it's quite the logistical um, feat, but it's a lot of fun. And then we have Compass, which is our digital product, and it's all for travelers who want to learn how to travel better. Either they want to move abroad or they want to get their boss to grant them remote working days. They want to figure out how to how to get set up there. Maybe they want to figure out what the shoulder seasons are for every country in the world. Or maybe they want to learn how to rent cars in any country in the world. So there's it's all of these um, tools that we deliver every week to um, different types of travelers to help them be, you know, who they who they want to be. What do you think that people, especially Americans, miss when they don't travel internationally? You know, what is the real meat of the value of travel in your mind? Hmm, that's a good question. I think that, and I was talking to my good friend about this um, a couple months ago, um, but she mentioned um, that travel for her, if she didn't travel, her world would be very small. Her conversations would be very small. 
they would be very close-minded. Um, and I think that what travel does is it, is it opens you up. If you don't travel, then your conversations may just be smaller. And there's nothing wrong with having smaller conversations. But it's kind of like you don't know what you don't know, right? And if you, if you go out into the world and you are interacting with different people from different walks of life, from different points of views, you don't argue people down. Like I don't waste, I don't, you know, spend my energy arguing with people because, you know, I don't want to go through life trying to change people's minds. You know, that can get very tiring. It's also the reason why when I moved to India, I went on a complete news fast. I stayed away from the news. I was in my own little happiness bubble. And that's why I appreciate what you're doing because there is such a, a place in this world for peace and joy. And there's also this place, and I know people who they operate on this 24-hour news cycle. And it's, you know, a barrage of tweets about how X, Y, and Z, and it just it's just a cycle. That kind of stuff can kill you. It stresses you out, it puts it raises your cortisol levels, it does all of these things. It's very it's harmful to your body. And so, you know, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, peace and joy and having perspective. And that perspective can come from a lot of different places. And um, for me, it's, it's come from my relationship with God and it's come from travel, being able to see things from a, from a higher plane of view. I love that. I, I love the work that you're doing and I love your perspective on travel. And uh, I also just love travel. And so I like getting to talk with you about this. <laughs> I want to wrap up with one more question and, and I want to bring it back to this idea of curiosity because I think that that is so key and so amazing and I love it. You know, for people who are maybe seeking more curiosity in their lives, you know, what's a really good way to cultivate that? You know, it doesn't start with just booking a plane ticket to Asia. It doesn't start with these big things. Like how can people start focusing on curiosity in the here and now? Being curious is like, it's, it's such a cool thing. You start being curious, I think, by asking a lot of questions. And I've met people who are so inquisitive, it makes my inquisitiveness level look like nothing. They would say, like, why is this sidewalk this amount of inches off the ground and why is that standardized? Or what, who, made, who sets up the international driving laws? Like, why are all the stop signs red? Who told, you know, Italy that when they come to a circle that, like a roundabout, that that one car has the right of way and the cars traveling in the circle um, are to continue traveling or like whatever. It it starts with asking lots of questions. It may seem boring to a lot of people, but I promise you, like when you start, if you start thinking about questions, like, like for instance, I I live in, um, I live in downtown Chicago um, and we, there's a rooftop. And if you go up to the rooftop you can see weather patterns starting to form, right? So I call myself now like a mini meteorologist because I can see when the storm is coming on the horizon and how the rain comes and the types of clouds that will bring the rain and the types of clouds where you can still see the planes flying over. And it just, it starts with this intention to ask questions about everything. That's kind of how you you get curious. I would also say getting lost is another way. If you have 
a phone and you know where you're starting, just get lost. Just walk around. You will find that wherever you are in whatever city you're in, you'll have questions about something. Why is this glass tinted the way that it is? Why is the flag three colors instead of four? Why are there stars in the flag? Why do they drink this kind of coffee versus coffee with milk? How did that language come to be? Like there's all of these different things that you may find yourself starting to, to ask when you get lost or, you, or you, you start on this journey of being more intentional about your curiosity. Why do these plants and trees grow here versus others? There are some places like in Marrakesh, they, instead of growing regular trees on the sidewalks, they grow orange trees. And I'm like, why do they grow orange trees? Uh, like instead of regular, you know, regular, regular, like, I don't know, random trees. And so like, that's the f- a first question. Like, why do they grow oranges? And then I go on my phone and I'm like, doo, 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 doo. why do they grow oranges on, the, on like the sidewalks? And things like that, like it starts with this intent to be curious and to ask tons of questions. Why are there 20,000 different architecture types in downtown Chicago? It's so fascinating. Why are they there? There are glass buildings next to Gothic looking buildings next to buildings with domes and all these different things. Why is that? Was the city sectioned off in the way that it was built? Why is there a river running through the city? What was in that? Like what was taking things to that river back in the day? Like all these things start from asking questions. Zim is seriously so great. I love that conversation. I wanted to point out one quote that I really connected with. It said, being naturally curious as well as always seen as the other for so long resulted in me being able to call out the beauty of otherness in the people around me. How beautiful is that? It's so powerful. She said that it's kind of hard to be aware of this as it's happening. It's hard to see how the situation she was in could end up being beneficial in the long run. But it's really powerful that she has that hindsight today that allows her to see the beauty of otherness in the people all around her. That's so good. You can follow along with Zim's adventures online at at Zimism on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find Travel Noir on Instagram and Twitter as well and at travelnoir.com. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would absolutely love for you to stick around. If you love this episode, you would also love our conversation with Zach Houghton. It was all about the power of travel in incredible ways. And you'll also love one of our earliest episodes with Jedediah Jenkins. He biked all the way from Oregon to Patagonia. That's the very bottom of South America. And he shared about that journey and what he learned along the way. You can find both of those episodes and all of our other episodes wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good, 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 a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. You can get lots more hopeful stories on social media by following us everywhere at at Good, Good, Good Co. Try to say that five times fast. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. Yes, it's a real newspaper, and it's called The Good Newspaper, and you can totally order it today. Check it out and see what else we do at goodgoodgood.co. That's .co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good? Sound good?